If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with us to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27 will be our focal point for today. As we deal with this topic, this title today, What is a Man? What is a Woman? Right, in a lot of ways, that's a question that many years ago would seem obvious. And it may seem obvious still to you. But to our culture that is in a state of confusion, that is a hard and difficult question for them to answer. And I think what makes it challenging is is that we have made ourselves the center of the universe. And so you hear it in adages in our culture like, you do you, or be true to yourself. And so we wrestle with these things. Why? Because we think that a person's true self is how they feel. And therefore, even though maybe someone comes and they feel like a male and their birth certificate and their biology may say that they're a female, the culture says, well, if that's how you feel, then guess what? You must, your biology must be wrong. And that leaves us in a contentious place as people. Why Why do our culture think that? Because we are what we feel after all. Like it's just you do you. If that's what you feel, then guess what? You are, you're God of your own universe. And so it leaves us as a place of, of saying, guess what? The culture doesn't accept that God's word is the ultimate authority. There's no respect for authority and, and truth unless it's your truth. Because there's no big T truth anymore. And I think it has to cause us as believers to some way feel bewildered like we're in a wilderness. Especially some of you who are older, who grew up in in, in America and a culture where Christianity was celebrated. You now found yourself in a place where you're you're wrestling with like, if you stand upon God's word and what it says about things like gender and marriage and homosexuality, the culture, maybe your family even, your friends are going to think that you're oppressive. If you're going to say to them like, well, guess what, I, I I don't accept what you have to say because of what God's word says, and they're going to say, guess what? Then, then you and God's word are, it's almost abusive seemingly. And it puts us in such a precarious place, such a, a strange place for so many of us. We begin to wonder like, do we really have to say this is wrong? Maybe some of you are there. You're wrestling with that. Like, do you have to really say that that's wrong? Or can't we just accept everybody? After all, God loves everybody. And so you're wrestling not only with gender and sexuality, beloved. I I would say that there's a greater wrestling and struggle. And it's this. Is God's word actually authority? Is it actually true? Is there even like, I mean, with this this whole debate and this, this gender revolution and all the things that are unfolding. Right. It's pressing upon us like. The question, is there even a God? Like, I mean, who gives the right to say that? Who who has that type of authority and truth? Who do you think you are? And so, again, my guess is for many of you, you're wrestling with a lot of things. As it relates to your friends, it relates to your family, as the culture as a whole. As we look at Genesis 1, 27 today, this statement, male and female, he created them. We're having to wrestle with, with this idea that Do these differences in our gender actually reveal nature and God's design, or are they merely preferences in our choice? That's what's happening. Is what God said here that he created us male and female? Is, Is that really nature and God's design, or is it just a preference in our choice? That's where you find yourself. 
And again, my assumption is in this room, there are going to be some of you that, guess what, are already getting rubbed the wrong way by it. You're agitated that this subject's come up and just being transparent with you. As Brother Todd and I, we looked at what we had preached over the last 10 plus 15 years or so. We realized that one glaring hole stood out and it was the law from some section of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And as we began to pray and contemplate how we can best preach the whole counsel of God, we said, man, Genesis is it. Our people need to hear Genesis. We need to hear the word of God. And really, that's what's at stake. This is no small matter on how you land on gender, because really what you're deciding is, is God's word actually true or not? You may not think that, you may not feel that, but that's really what's being on the judgment stand. Where do you land on God's word? So in light of that, I think it's just important just for a moment that we pray, because I'm guessing, and again, that that there is going to be opposition, tension in many of our souls And the temptation is going to be just to shut out. And so I just want us to pray just for a moment and ask God's word to speak. And let us hear and listen. Would you go to the Lord with me just for a moment in prayer? Father, this is no small matter that we come. Throughout this weekend, whether it was youth fest or here, I continue to hear the words of Moses. Today I set before you life and death choose life father may by the power of your holy spirit may you do what i cannot do and that is cause all of our hearts to come in submission and conformity to the word of god and to the image of christ strengthen now by the power of your spirit cause us to want to hear your word and to not refuse it but to submit and sit in submission to you this morning Father, help me be faithful to preach the word. In the name of Christ, I do pray. Amen. The big idea for you today is this, that God purposely created you male and female for his glory and for your good. God purposely created you as a boy or as a girl for his glory and your good. So let's look now to God's word in Genesis chapter 1. Again, verse 27 is going to be the focal point, but we're going to wrestle with some of Genesis 1 through 3, given the topic and the nature of this. So let's look now to this first truth, that God created us male and female. God created us male and female. Why do we say that? Well, because that's what Genesis 1.27 says. Look what it says here. Look with me again to God's word. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the beginning, right? And so consider first how boys and girls are similar. Well, guess what? We're we're all created. Notice that created, created, created. That's clear. And it says it's in God's own image. We see that the image of God. So this this is in ways in which we're unique or, or ways in which we're similar as boys and girls, as male and female. Psalm 139 would say to you that God knit you together in your mother's womb, that you are uniquely and fearfully made. It's the word of God there. It's just as it tells you the truth of the gospel, that you are created in God's image. And here's the best news of all. I want to make sure you know this today. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes, beloved. So, So consider that for a moment, because again, I know there's a tension for some of you. How you were conceived, the family that you grew up in. Right? I mean, as you think about the fact that maybe even your feelings about being a boy or a girl today, 
It was God. The Bible says it was God who made you a boy or a girl. That's what the Word of God says. He made you a male or a female. And the truth is, as we've seen and we circle here today, He made you in His own image. So that means if God made you a girl, He made you that way so that you could reflect and image Him that is like boys but different. You see, despite what our culture says, that finding the true you isn't about looking somewhere within. It's actually looking without to God's Word and ultimately to Christ. You see, when we reject who God has created us to be, we are rejecting God's good intent and purpose for our lives. That's why there's no joy, no peace when we pursue this through our own desires and passions. You see, men and women are similar. I don't have it on the, on the screen, but verse 28 says that we, men and women, are created to have dominion or rule or authority. Over says the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all the creatures of the ground. God created us in His image to have an authority to rule, to take care of creation as we mirror Him. But maybe we would ask, well, if that's the ways in which we're similar, does the Bible actually say that we're different? Genesis says yes. The Bible says yes. You see, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, what you have to realize is you're getting this big scope picture of six days of creation and we're going to come to, to the seventh day here soon. But when you come to Genesis 2, what happens is, is it, that the author Moses, by the power of the Holy Spirit, zooms in on the creation of men and women. And he begins to talk about marriage and how the creation of men and women actually happened. And what's interesting is, as we come to Genesis chapter 2, is that we read in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man, this is Adam, the first man, of the dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So the man's created from the dust of the ground. That's what the Bible says, and it's by the power of God, right? We might just assume, well, surely that the women will be the woman will be created in the same way. But that's not what the Bible says. See what the Bible says in verse 22, just later in this chapter. Let's pick up verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with, in his place with flesh. This is the first surgery, right? God's opening up the man and literally taking a rib from him. And in verse 22 of Genesis 2, it says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, we're going to walk through Genesis 2 more next week. We're going to be talking about marriage. And so, again, this kind of maybe a little heads up to moms and dads. We're going to be discussing some of those things. So this is a chance for you to know that and, and be aware. But we might ask, and I think it's a, this, this text itself raises an important question. Why didn't God make the woman from the dust just like he did the man? Like, why? Pastor Eric Reed, uh, he made some comments here that I just thought were really helpful. I want to share just a few of those with you. It, it's reminding us that the woman is a suitable helper. She fits. She corresponds. She's one flesh with Adam. She's a helper to him in a unique way. Now, I think it's important to remind ourselves that this is taking place in the context of marriage. So this doesn't mean that every woman is the helper of every man. That's not what it's saying. Okay, so we've got to hear that, understand the context of it. But it does say that this woman is like Adam and perfectly unlike Adam. Again, recognizing the context in which I'm preaching this morning, but this does mean that anatomically, like men and women, they're compatible. Like they come together like they fit. And that's part of what's happening here as we begin to see this creation, that this man is created this way and this woman is created this way. Their designs, they're good, but they complement one another. They fit. They work together. 
In fact, I mean, as we're going to see next week, it, it wasn't good for the man to be alone. But now he has his corresponding counterpart who is like him and yet different. And the Bible says that it's good. It's good. You see, as you think throughout the Bible, man, as, as the Bible talks about men and women, you have passages like Genesis 24. You see, you have this father, Abraham, and Sarah, and he finally, they had this son in their old age named Isaac. And the time comes when Sarah dies, and Isaac's not married, and Isaac is struggling. His mom is gone. And one of the ways the Bible answers part of how God heals or how God works in the life of Isaac it says that he brings this woman named Rebecca to him in Genesis 24, I think it's like verse 67. It closes out that chapter by saying, and Isaac was comforted after the loss of his mother. You see, God had used this woman in a unique way as this comforter to this man. You see, you think about passages like 1 Samuel chapter 30 when David and the mighty men have gone off and guess what? Other people have come in and they've taken their wives and their children captive. And man, there's this moment in which these men are lamenting they're weeping. But there comes a moment of saying, what do we do as men? I don't know about you, but you rise up and you go get your wife and you go get your kids. That's what men do. And that's what those brothers do. They go back and they get their wives and their kids. You see, as you think more about, again, as men and women are, are unique in their creation, but they're similar. Think about stories like Ruth and Boaz. Right, Ruth is this widow and a foreigner, right, who, who comes and she, she comes there to Bethlehem. And it's, she's working in the field, but that itself, as the culture and some of the story even reveals, is dangerous. And so Ruth rides, or Mo, Boaz rides up and he tells her, he said, listen, don't go to any other field, stay in this field. And he tells the young men who are working, don't touch her. Help provide for her, help her get drinks when we drink, but don't let her go in another field. He's protecting for her. And what happens later in the story? Well, she comes to him pursuing marriage. And he says to her, listen, you could have gone after any of these other younger guys, these younger chaps that got it all together. I said, you come this older me. And it's a story of love and respect where this man is protecting her and she's loving and responding to him. You see, the Bible is reminding us of how men and women are different and it's good. You see, church, God has spoken on the issue of gender and sexuality, so we need to ask ourselves, are we going to let the culture frame the discussion, or are we going to let God frame the discussion? That's really what you've got to ask. You see, the, the truth is, for many of you in this room, you may think, man, this, this is good, but it's really not that big a deal, because my children and my family, we don't, we don't just struggle with that. Maybe not. But here's what I'm convinced you will struggle with. Who's the authority, the culture or the Word of God? I promise you, your kids are struggling with that. So therefore, this gender is a reminder to us of what are we going to say that God's Word has something to say about this issue. You see, as Christians, I think it's important that we can't be talk about it the least, and we can't come to discussion last. Why? Because I guarantee you TikTok's not taking a day off on your kiddos or grandkids. The media's not taking a day off. The friends at school, they're not just thinking, hey, you know what? We're going to talk about this one time, and that's going to be it. Guys... When it comes to gender and sexuality and many of these other things, it cannot be a one-time conversation. Why? Because again, TikTok isn't giving your kids a one-time convo on it. It's again and again and again. They're hearing and being bombarded with this. So I think that presents another question. Where did all the issues with this gender stuff go wrong anyway? Like how did this get distorted? If this is what God created then, and he's a good and all-powerful God, then, then how did things come off the, the tracks, so to speak? I think it's a good question. And I think it's this truth that arises. Don't allow your thoughts and feelings to lead you astray. 
Don't allow your thoughts and your feelings to lead you astray. Why do we say that? Well, that's exactly what happens in the beginning. You see, we're in Genesis 1, but the reality is we can't just stay in Genesis 1. Why? Because Genesis 3 is coming. You see, I, the, the truth is many of you are, are teachers, whether that's in your home or whether you have discussions with other people and you're sharing the word. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher or children or youth workers. I, I want to encourage you to think about the framework of every story finds itself somewhere in the creation of how God intended things. The story probably reveals that there's a fall. There's a, there's a, a, a not obeying or following God's word. And then there's the good news of the redemption of Christ who comes and makes things right. And then ultimately one day there'll be the restoration of all things. So as we look in Genesis 1, we realize, man, this is good that God created male and female, but man, we only get a couple chapters later and everything goes south. And it's that moment when that sneaky little snake, Satan, comes in the garden and asks the question in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that continues to reverberate in all of our hearts and minds, and our culture has it on blast. Did God really what? Say. That's the question you've got to wrestle with too, brother or sister. Did God actually say? Did God really say? And that's what Genesis 3 verse 1 says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. You see, Satan is there trying to get her, just like he's trying to get us, to question God's goodness. Immediately following this, well, the story unfolds again. Let's just hear a little bit of context. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen to this verse, verse 6 of Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. You see, I think Eve is asking the question that we all ask. And our culture asks as it relates to gender specifically. How can God be good when he tells me what I, I can't have what I want? How can God be good when he tells me I can't have what I want or how I feel? That's the issue. That's the tension. You see, Eve believes a lie. Her own thoughts and feelings seemingly trump God's word in this moment. And it's the same thing, right? I mean, when it comes to gender and sexuality, the thought is our brains or our feelings or our thoughts trump our biology. And so, guys, we've got to come back to God's word that says, listen, if your body says that you're a boy or a girl, you're a boy or a girl. Your mind or your feelings can't trump this. Again, we have to acknowledge that we, just like Adam and Eve, can be easily deceived into believing a lie. Now, again, just as we confessed earlier in our time of sin, we have to be, again, convicted on this subject, yes, to speak the truth, but we also must be compassionate. Conviction and compassion. You see, when we're talking to others who are struggling with their gender, we can look back to the Bible and tell them, guess what? Your body's not lying to you. It's not. That's how God created you as a boy or as a girl. You see, I think as we come again to this gender debate, and Mark was talking to it some, or talking about it some there in the opening, the Word of God is being attacked. It's the truth of Scripture. Uh, the Good Book Company produced a book entitled Gender, uh, a conversation guide for parents and pastors. It's really good. And throughout this message, there's going to be just some moments where I may just quote from it or, or pull out an application. I just thought there's so much good in that book. Again, 
It's a good book company. It's a conversation guide for parents and pastors. It's a book on gender. But the reality is how we land on gender says a lot about how we see the Word of God as itself. You see, if you see the Word of God as a rule book for your life, the likelihood is your kids are going to see it as cold and indifferent. If we treat the Bible like it's some just great adventure novel, then you know what? Our kids may be excited or entertained at times, but not really convinced that like it's really that big a deal. Maybe we're here and we don't want to talk with our children about what the Bible says. And they're going to seem to think that the Bible's actually re- irrelevant. It was this old culture and people who didn't live in a place like we did in time. It's outdated. You see, how we handle the Scripture with our children when they are young is going to shape how they're going to see the Scriptures in the future. This is why it matters. Listen, this is why we're so passionate about spending time in God's Word. This is why we're passionate about having you in Sunday school and your family in Sunday school. This is why we're passionate about seeing you on Wednesday night and being a part. Why? Because we realize that what the Scriptures have to say is truth. And the only way to a true life of joy and peace, only way to path of eternity, is through the Word of God as we look and it points us to the Son who tells us that there's a God who loves us in the midst of our rebellion. We need you, beloved. We compel you to be a part of coming and gathering with us to hear God's word. You see, one of our kids, when they have a moment, when they blow up and they lose it, we, we, we do our best. Emily and I don't do this super well, but we try. Like, just come and pull them to the side and say, man, let's just talk for a minute. Like, one of the verses we've been working on is one of the Proverbs says it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. And we're like, man, is it just possible to overlook what they said or done? Is it possible? Many things can just be forgiven. Right? Or, or the reminder is the Bible says we're not to repay evil for what? Evil. Mommy. She distracted me and everybody else. Sorry. And often a response comes back from one of my kids is, yeah, but this is what he said. This is what he did. And the reality of that moment is what we're saying is, guess what? God's word may say something, but my feelings trump what God's word says. And we have to continually come back to that. Is it the truth is my kids can't do it. Your kids can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. We all desperately need Christ to overcome the struggles that we have. It's the power of Christ. Now listen, guys, we're going to face temptation, all of us, to tell people what they feel or what they believe is okay because as long as that makes them happy, then that's good. But it's not helpful or loving to our neighbors to lie to them. Like this past week, Emily and I were at our eye doctor and we're sitting in that room realizing, and guess what, that based upon how this exam goes, he may have to pull out a needle in a moment and inject something into her eyeball. It's intense. And I know my bride doesn't want it, and I can see it on her face. And, man, I'm just inside there. I'm struggling. Like, what's this going to look like to see my bride get another shot in her eye? And yet, what we know is, is guess what? That she's got an issue, and unless that doctor looks at that exam and treats her to the best, it's going to cause discomfort. But guess what? I don't want that brother lying to us. I want my bride to be able to see So that momentary discomfort and pain and the stress that takes place inside, we realize that, guess what? He's doing it for our good. Guys, it'll never be loving to support something that God's against. It'll never be loving to encourage someone to act contrary to how God has designed them. Our first allegiance, listen to this, our first allegiance is to God, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and secondly, to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
Love often looks like telling people what they don't want to hear, just like our doctor. Why? Because he knows that's what's best. But it's going to prove costly. If you stand upon this word, I'm telling you that the culture and your friends and maybe even family members are going to think that you are unloving. You're cold. You're indifferent. You see how sin just flips everything on its head and disorients it? But don't let our culture distract us from the truth, beloved. This is God's word. He's spoken after all. We had no problem in Genesis chapter 1. Most of us here, amen, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's who God is. But man, we get just a few verses later, and we get quiet as a mouse. I'm fearful that we become more fearful of man than of God. Let us hold fast. But the truth remains, right? All of us, like Adam and Eve, we believe lies. We, we are all confused, right? Some of us on our gender, but on other things, we're all sinful. And the question is, how can we be restored? And the Bible says that this truth comes to us. We save our lives by losing them. It's the exact opposite of what the culture says on this issue. But the Bible says that if you want to save your life, you actually have to lose it. It's just it's seemingly like it seems ludicrous that even that statement, you save something by losing it. You find true meaning by not giving in to your desires, but instead surrendering them. But that's what Jesus says. Look what he says here. Verse 34 of Genesis chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me. I want to be really straight with you. For many of us, we lived in a culture where coming to Christ was celebrated and clapped and welcomed. Your children, your grandchildren are going to grow up in a culture where coming to Christ is going to look like hate speech. Because they're going to be asked, do you really believe stuff that's in that Bible like that? And that's what Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. Listen, I know it's hard and this is pressing against us. But beloved, I'm telling you, I think it's beautiful and glorious for the church. For there's a time when the true light will rise up. When there's been so much of us staying in the light or staying in the dark and this in-between, there's this purity that's going to rise up. God uses controversy so often to clarify. He uses tension and pressure to purify. And I believe he's doing it with his church. If anyone would come after me, the Lord Jesus Christ says, no preacher, this is no words of a man. It's not the words of this church. No words of a pope. Not the words of Billy Graham or whomever. This is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, beloved. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Hear this. Listen to what Jesus says. If you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him or of her. Will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So Jesus says, listen, if you want to follow me, if you would come after me. He says first that you are to deny yourself. Deny yourself. It's no longer seeking your own joy and pleasure. It's no longer doing what you think is right because that's what you feel like is right. That's what you feel like is best. Jesus says if you want to come after him, that you must deny yourself. There must be an acknowledgement that your way of life is wrong and the truth of God is right. 
There must be what there is called for, a desire for repentance. Many, many, many want to go to heaven when they die. They want their ticket punched. But there's no desire to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Him. Why? Because the cross, guess what? To take up one's cross, that statement, and follow me? The cross is a place of shame. I mean, consider the sinless Son of God is on the cross naked. His mom's there as a grown man. Can you imagine the shame, humiliation? He's mocked and spit upon. You see, I think at times we have a tendency to lessen the words. And and I'm not sure it's intentional, but we think about our physical sufferings and things we go through and think this is my cross to bear. No, the cross to bear is to hold fast to the Scriptures and realize that it's going to put you at a place of shame with the culture and everyone around you. That it may cost you relationships with your children and your grandchildren, with your mom or your dad, with your college roommate or your buddy. It may cost you your job. This is real shame. And Jesus says, Jesus assumes that he is so glorious and his forgiveness is so great that he's actually worth us doing this for. Are you convinced of that? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Guys, it's, it's going to bring shame. If you follow Christ, it's going to bring shame. If you don't wear the pride pin at work, it's going to create shame. If you don't celebrate that girl who calls herself a boy, it's going to create shame. If you don't celebrate with our culture when a biological man is racing in the pool against biological women and winning, and you don't celebrate that, our culture is going to shame you. But beloved, we shouldn't be surprised that following Christ is one of shame. Why? Because he went to the cursed cross. He knows shame. Isaiah 53 is like he's like one from whom men hide their faces. People don't want to be associated with them. Do you? And here's the wrestling, the tension. Listen to what Jesus says. If you are ashamed of me now, I'll be ashamed of you then. If you're ashamed of me for this temporary span of earth and life, he says, I'm going to be ashamed of you for all eternity. This is no trivial matter, beloved. Temporary shame or eternal shame. All of this means that we are to follow Christ again. We're going to experience it. But we must remind others, and again, as we discuss gender, the answer is not to look within any more than it's to look within with any other sinful desire. The answer is always not looking within, but looking to Him. That's the hope of the gospel. To know that we can be forgiven. Here today, no one here is too sinful, too far gone. There's a God who forgives and who redeems. There's a God who loves us in the midst of our sin. You see that? God dies for us not when we've turned over enough new leaves. He dies for us in the midst of our sin and rebellion. His love is so magnified. His glory is so great. Guys, as we look to Jesus, as we trust in the Word of God, it reminds us of this final point. God created us male and female for our good. I hope we've seen that it's for His glory, but I want you to also realize it's for your good. Listen to what Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says. After God makes on the sixth day the man, the woman, and God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. It's a change, right? The first five days, everything's good, 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 good. And now he creates man and woman and something changes and he adds this adjective to describe it. It's very good. 
Very good. Extremely good. It's this hope of the gospel. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. That's what it's saying, guys. But I think that a real question we need to wrestle with as we come to a close today is this. is If we live in a fallen world that Genesis 3 says we do, and everything is tainted and fallen by that, then maybe how we view gender is messed up as well. Like maybe like it's, it's actually like our view on it's wrong. And the Bible has an answer for that. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you make your way there to the New Testament and, and turn, listen as Paul writes these words. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. He says well, what's behind false teachers is not merely just a man. There's, there's demonic work that is trying to lead you astray, that is trying to capture and deceive your mind. That's why we talked about it, that adage, I don't care where you go to church, just go somewhere. No, it absolutely matters where you go. And believe me, this isn't the only place that proclaims the Word of God, but that is our aim. It's not to please men. It's not to tickle your ears. Why? Because we are under shepherds who will give an account for the very things we've said and done here. And as James 3, 1 warns, the first that used to wrestle so much with me as God was calling and, and preparing my heart to preach... James 3 and 1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Man, it used to even now. Just, he says, listen, these false teachers are going to come. And look what it says, Through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. Notice what they do here, verse 3. They forbid marriage. They forbid marriage. And require abstinence from foods. Notice what he says here. Again, this is beautiful. What Paul does is he doesn't look to the culture around them to give his, his, his marching order, so to speak. What's he do? He keeps returning back to creation. This is the same thing Jesus, Jesus does when he talks about marriage. He doesn't look to the culture around them. He returns back. How did God do it in the beginning? Listen to what he says. And they require abstinence from foods. Look what it says. That God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So Paul says liars will come, and they're going to say marriage is bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is dealing with that very same thing, right? There's husbands and wives that are together, and they're saying, you know what? If you're really pure, pure and you're really holy and you have real self-control, you won't be intimate with your spouse. That's how you prove how you are. And Paul's like, what is going on? It, it, it's always false doctrine and false truth is trying to rob us of the very things God created for us to enjoy. He says, listen, they're forbidding marriage. And Paul says, listen, that's a lie. Why? Because God created marriage to be received with thanksgiving. Marriage is good. You say, Blake, that's talking about marriage, bro. They ain't talking about gender. You're right. But just think about biblical marriage. This is Genesis 2 he's referring to. But in biblical marriage, there's one man and one woman that come together. He's identifying, saying that, listen, gender is good. How God created you as a boy or how God created you as a girl is good, church. And so listen to what he says. For everything, look, he says, verse 4, here's his his proof. For everything created by God is what? Good. He's just echoing the words of Genesis. He's just saying amen to what Moses wrote there by the power of the Holy Spirit. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. This includes, listen, Everything God creates good. Even this is Paul writing years and years after the fall. And he's still saying that guess what? How God created you as a boy or as a girl is good. Hear that. Your biology, your birth certificate, 
was a choice of God. And Paul says that despite the sinful world in which you were born into, despite maybe the sinful circumstances in which you were born into, it's good. It's good. God made a good choice. God doesn't get it wrong. So it remains good. So again, don't look to the culture around you. If you want to understand who you are, look to God's word. So what should our response to this be? Paul says there should be thanksgiving. There should be thanksgiving thanks that God's created us as a boy or a girl. Husbands and wives should enjoy coming together intimately. There should be a thanksgiving. It should be something they rejoice over. Some brother just said, now that brother's finally preaching. Come on, now, y'all, man, y'all, whew, loosen the collar, bro. Loosen the collar. But listen, guys, this is just truth. And so it reminds us, listen, how should we enjoy how God has made us? Well, we gotta, one thing we've got to guard against is these gender-distinct categories. What do I mean by that? Well, there's things that we should reject. Like, for example, not all girls like pink. And not every boy wants to be a firefighter. Right? Some girls enjoy playing sports, and some boys would rather do gymnastics than play football. That's when a girl doesn't like pink or she likes playing sports. It doesn't mean that she's a boy. Any more than if your son or grandson doesn't like farming, he'd rather draw. That doesn't mean that he's a girl. So we have to guard against these man-made distinctions. But we also have to celebrate them, don't we? I mean, think about what's going on right now in Ukraine. It was the men that they called of that culture to take up arms. Are there other women fighting? Absolutely. I saw this morning where a mother of six and a mother who had adopted six children. This, this woman had all these children. She gave her life. So again, it doesn't mean there are exceptions to it, but we see images like this. You may, you may have seen it, but this gentleman here, he's, a, he's an 80-year-old brother who shows up and ready to fight for the Ukrainian people. He says, why? He's come on behalf of his grandchildren. You see, there's something about the way that God created men that says, you know what? I'm going to fight to the finish. I mean, I don't know about you. If somebody comes in my house tonight, I'm not big, but they're going to get all of me. I promise you. I'm going to lay down my life for my bride and my children. There's something about men that's right that we should protect. And what do we see? I, I meant to show the image up here, but Emily had shown me this week. She's like, listen, Blake, have you seen it? And I was like, I, I don't know. And it was all these strollers that had been lined up. And it was, why? As these women were fleeing Russia to come, or fleeing Ukraine to come into Poland, these Polish women had left their strollers. Why? Because they knew those mamas were coming with their babies. Women understand that God's created them as nurturers. Men are protectors. Again, does that mean that men can't be nurturing or women can't be protective? That's not what I'm saying. There are absolutely moments when those happen. But we need to realize that God created us a certain way and it's good. For example, the other night at community groups, baby ran down this little sidewalk right over here and some of the salt was left and it hadn't dissolved and, and it was loose. And man, she just went and fell, scraped up knees and elbows and just bleeding and crying. And she comes to me. And I'm holding her and trying to just, you know who she wanted though? You know who she's asking for? Mom. Church, it's not bad. I'm like, oh, I can't believe you. No, it's just how God created. God gave women that special. I mean, you, I, I'm thankful for the brothers who serve and do here. But man, if you walk around these places and see, there are ladies, like as you watch on Wednesday night, it's not their own children. But man, you, you, you would be hard pressed not to know the way they just love and speak to kids. Right? So now I'm just like gruff and doing and like, Arr! right? I mean, if that probably been my boys or not, I'd be like, shake it off, bro. You all right? God created us different, guys. So maybe just two big takeaways as we close. First, for those here who are struggling with their gender identity, 
Or maybe you're here and you realize that you are apart from Christ. It's just this text says to you, hey man, listen, I'm apart. I want to be really clear that you were created as a boy or a girl and that wasn't an accident or wasn't a mistake. God purposely created, just as he did in the beginning, he made them male and female. It was God who knit you together in your mother's womb. It was God who brought that chromosome line up together. He decided on that. So here's a church, I hope and pray you haven't heard me today or others making fun of you or trying to deny that your feelings are true and what you're experiencing. In love, we want to walk beside you. We are not trying to deny that you have some real feelings, just like we have some real feelings and desires. But what we're wanting to say is, guess what? Those feelings and desires for you, just like for us, they can't be king. We see we have to come and surrender our feelings and our desires to the king. We have to come, what the Bible says, Jesus says, come out of darkness and into light. So I want to compel you and urge you today to see the God who created you as a boy or a girl and realize that that's good. To see that despite our sin and rebellion, Jesus Christ gave his life that we might be forgiven and redeemed and filled with the Spirit to live a life of obedience to the truth of God's Word. To the church. I've referenced already the book on gender, but man, there's just so much there. I think, again, it's a reminder as we deal with those who feel like their self-image doesn't match their biology, we can tell them based upon God's Word, listen, it's your body's telling you the truth despite what your mind or your feelings are thinking. How might we encourage them with that? Well, Reminder of one of the things the book mentions is the bodily integrity disorder. What's that? Well, there are people that, that really feel like their arm or their leg isn't actually theirs. It's a real feeling, a real thought they have. Does that mean that we walk around and say, you know what, that feels like it's not yours? Just lop that baby off. We would think, no, that's crazy. Why would we tell someone, listen, what do we do? We say, listen, that's your real arm. That's your real leg. Or imagine you're talking to a 15-year-old that weighs 90 pounds. And do we go up into them and say, you know what, you're right, you are fat. No. What do we do? We help them realize, listen, what your mind is telling you. Again, you hear that. Why? Because there's folks that deal with de- eating disorders. They see in that mirror like this struggle. And the reminder is, listen, your body is telling you the truth. Your mind is deceiving you into believing these lies about who you are and what you look like in the mirror. You see, church, we must bring people back to God's word. That's what's at the heart of this. It's the Word of God. And we all got, man, listen, we all got struggles. Every single one of us. And I hope and pray that that's part of why we confess our sins in this place. It's a reminder that each and every one of us here, well, our struggles are different, but it makes us a lot more sane. I want to compel you, one and all, to come to Jesus, to experience His forgiveness and His grace. I want to urge us as a church to go out with conviction and compassion on this issue and every other issue. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now, in light of your word, that you would speak. Father, I know that the enemy is here. As Jesus said, he comes to snatch the seed that has been sown. That indeed for some it will find soil, but the cares and the worries of this world will choke it out. And Lord, I just pray now by the power of your spirit that you would do what no man or woman in this place can do. That you would cause our hearts to be good soil. 
that they would receive this word, that they would hear it and obey it. I pray you would empower moms and dads to go forth now and share this word in their homes for grandparents to talk to their grandchildren. I pray for conviction and compassion as we talk with friends and classmates and others. I pray for strength for those who live and work in a place where to speak about this or talk about pronouns or all these other things, God. It's going to put them in a great position of danger for their jobs. Father, may you give them wisdom, but may you give them courage to speak the truth in love. Father, may you empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to hold fast to your word. Protect us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.